Welcome. You are listening to Intentional Conversations from Nika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. For those of you who've been a part of our community, you know that I always take a moment to provide an official reading of our guest co-host bio. So today will be no different. This is our way of helping you to know how our guest co-hosts show up to the conversation, their credentials, their experience, their accolades. And so today we are welcoming Yvonne Hutchinson. Yvonne is the author of How to Talk to Your Boss About Race and the CEO of ReadySet, a diversity and inclusion product and services firm that helps tech giants, political leaders, media outlets, and Fortune 500 companies speak more productively about racism and turn talk into action. To date, ReadySet has worked with hundreds of companies around the world to build, manage, and grow diverse teams. In a former life, prior to founding ReadySet, Yvonne worked as an international labor and human rights lawyer for nearly a decade. So if you've been part of this community, you know what to do. As I stop sharing my screen, I want you to find those reactions, those emojis, whatever accolades and words of affirmation that feels appropriate, and help me to welcome, as I add to the spotlight, our guest co-host today, Yvonne Hutchinson. Yvonne, we're so grateful to have you here today. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I know that it's super early for you on the West Coast, so we don't take that lightly at all. And before I yield and give you an opportunity to greet this audience in your own way, one of the things that we often like to ask our guest co-host to share with our community is maybe something we wouldn't know about you from reading your bio, as I just did, or even from maybe looking at your LinkedIn profile. So I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit <laughs> with that question, <laughs> but we're so grateful that you're here. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's just such a blessing to start the day off in this way with you all in community, um, talking about the things that we're all passionate about. So thank you for having me, Dr. White. And also, I just love saying doctor before a sister's name. So I'm just feeling so blessed that I get to do that this morning. Um, I uh, Fun fact, I always struggle with this because I try not to be boring, but my fun facts typically are. Uh, so my, my boring fun fact is I am, lately I've been drawing on my inner Oprah, who I don't know, you know, she has a farm and whatever. And I just love to like be in my garden. I am obsessed oh, with gardening and making love that. In the garden and having vegetables and then having my child uh, help. She loves to water the plants. So that's my kind of boring fun fact. I love it though. That is, I think that's such a way to kind of unify with, with family members. You talked about how, you know, your daughter kind of waters the, the, you know, the, the, the garden. Um, but I also would imagine that it's, it's probably a part of maybe your self-care routine, right? I mean, when we are one with nature, sometimes that can really help, you know, center us and ground us. And so anyway, I just, um, I love that that was your fun fact. And so thank you so much for sharing yeah, thank you. And one thing I'll add to that, I think it's also a way to connect with my ancestors. My 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 oh. grandfather was a sharecropper and he farmed oh, watermelon. Yeah. And so my mother always freaks oh. out like I try to take y'all out the country and now you're going back. And I, you know, I, just, I love that connection. Yeah. No, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. So before we jump in, there's so much that I want to talk about today. And, and one of the things that I know um, this entire community is holding in mind, along with so many others, is um just the suffering and the pain and the violence that we all have been um, exposed to over this past week or so. 
And um, I feel that it would be irresponsible if we didn't take a moment to just acknowledge that. And I want to ask how, how first and foremost are you doing, Yvonne? How are you processing? You know, I, um, you know, I'm, I am, I don't have uh, friends and family in Israel, but I do have people close to me, Israel and Gaza. I do have people close to me who are personally affected. And I think as with uh, many of us, it's been a really hard week. Um, as you said at the top, my background is in uh, international human rights law. Um, what's not there is that I do have a background in counterterrorism and human rights as well. And, you know, I went into that work and the work that I'm doing today in part because I just really believe in justice, the power of justice and the need for everyone to be able to live free from violence and to um, determine their own destiny. And I, you know, I have been, and I will own this, uh, more quiet than I usually am yeah. around topics. Uh, and I think a lot of people have. Yeah, um, yeah as well. Yeah, because, you know, it's, it, we are learning, yes, but I think it's also really scary the idea that we might say the wrong thing. And, you know, I yeah. look back on BLM and what we said in 2020, which is like, sometimes you just need to speak up. It might not be the right thing, but, you know, staying quiet also says something. Um, yeah. So I've been trying to acknowledge that my point of view may not be perfect and also create space for the very real pain that people around me are feeling. I think that in the conversations I've seen so far, a lot of people are litigating pain, you know, like, oh. and I, I, you know, I stand where I stand politically and, and we can have a conversation about that and about terrorism and about human rights all day. But um, where I stand now as a person and a human being is really trying to figure out how I can be there to support my fr my friends, my my the people in my company, the people who we were working with who were in severe shock and pain, yeah. deep seated pain, as they see what's happening over there, and use my voice to advocate for peace immediately, because regardless of what mm. you believe. Yeah. This is happening right now. This escalation of violence is terrifying. Yes. And, um, and, you know, push for addressing some of the root causes on this, of this event, because mm -hmm. it didn't happen in a vacuum. So, um, you know, that's where, that's where my, my mind and my heart go. I'm listening, I'm learning, I'm growing. I, you know, I personally have been in heated discussions at home with the, my husband and at work. And, you know, I'm surrounded by people who are DEI experts and who know this stuff and we can't all agree. So I can't imagine right. what it's like for folks who are struggling in their workplaces. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's that's where I am trying to give people the tools to have these conversations with uh, compassion and really mm -hmm. focusing on what I can do, not just to talk about it, but to be about it. You know what I mean? And to yeah. make sure that, the, that I'm using my voice to um, 
try to end, you know, or, or, or push for the end for, for, for this, this conflict. Yeah. To get us to a place of peace. Um, I so appreciate, um, everything that you just shared. I appreciate the, um, the, the rawness in the moment, um, nature of, of how you are sharing, how you're processing. And I think that, um, what it does is it's probably giving a lot of the rest of us who are listening, who will be exposed to this after, you know, the live show is completed, um, to give ourselves permission to do the same, you know, to not feel like we have to rush to create and curate some type of perfect response. We are imperfect people. And this is complex on so many imaginable levels. It's so nuanced and it's, it's evolving every single day. And um, I think that what makes it for me um, a bit unsettling is that as a practitioner in this space, and Yvonne, I'm sure you probably have experienced this as well because you alluded to it, that we are also supporting clients who are needing some answers for how to show up in their workplace and how do they message um, positioning, you know, whatever it is, what should the positioning be and how to really demonstrate a deep level of empathy and compassion while, you know, doing our best to not create harm to others who may mm -hmm. have different perspectives. So it is, it is complex at every imaginable level. And um, I am, I'm grateful to hear, um, you know, you say and endorse the fact that um, while there are tools that people need, we are not as practitioners immune to the emotions that we carry and we hold as well when we are exposed to these things. And, um, and I just don't want that to fall um, on us as being missed because I know a lot of people that join this community week in and week out are, are champions and advocates of, of the work of inclusion and equity and, um, and ending oppression and injustice. And so um, if you're feeling that way, I just want you all to maybe find some level of comfort in, in what um, Yvonne has shared and, and also what I am um, sharing as an, as an admittance to this is hard. This is hard. At the, the bare minimum, this is hard, right? Yeah, anyway. I mean, I think, yeah, this is hard. And I think that it's hard, but I, I feel like this is what we're supposed to do. I think um, yeah. I'm probably going to stir stir a hornet's nest. Sometimes I, I I like to kick it, um, kick the hornet's nest. I I think that, you know, if we are DEI practitioners, if we are committed to doing this work, we can't just do it when it's easy, and right. we can't just do it when it's straightforward, and yeah. we have to do it when it's hard. And our job in this day and age, which is an age of chaos, let's be yes. clear, economic, social, political, environmental chaos, our job is to support people and help organizations mm -hmm. support people through that chaos. And we don't really get to opt out of that. Right. We can well think said. deeply, yes, we can mm -hmm. make sure we're taking thoughtful approaches. But you know what I keep coming back to, because you know there are people who've told me to be quiet and to mm. stay silent and to not say the wrong thing. And I can't help but think about the people who told me the same thing when it was black bodies on the line right. um, two, three years ago. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I think that for me, holding with grace that it is not straightforward and we need to pause and think and we need to be thoughtful and deliberate right. and cheerful and kind uh, if we don't 
meet this moment. I think that a lot of the criticisms that people have about DEI and what it's meant to do and who we really are feel a lot more salient to me. The criticisms that I've been fighting at least, right? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. the idea that it's just surface, that it's just yeah. woo woo. Yeah. That, you know, um, and so I am in the process transparently of challenging myself because I'm not challenging. I mean, I'm saying what I think. This is this. I think it's this is too delicate of a time to be like I challenge you. No, you need <laughs> on your yeah. journey. But I'm in the process of challenging myself to really figure out like what is my moral obligation, what is my professional obligation, mm -hmm. and how do I make sure I I meet this moment in a way that I don't regret. Just yeah. ethically. You know? Yeah. No, I love that. And, um, and I think that that's a challenge that, you know, many of us could could place on ourselves, right? You know, however, in which we are navigating and processing, what does this mean for us? How do we want to show up in this moment? Um, and so thank you for the time and space for us just to go there for a moment. I do think that it was important. Um, and I hope that um, those who are part of this community found what's been shared um, helpful and useful to as you are thinking about your next steps and how you want to navigate. So I want to talk, Waivad, about your book, um, how to talk <laughs> to your boss about race and CEO. Um, no, about race. I, I, was, I was looking at your bio and the next line was CEO of Ready, Set, but how to talk to your boss about race. Can you give us maybe the background of what was the yeah. genesis that um, led to that being the topic of your book? Yeah, I mean, I, I just brought up 2020 uh, and that that's that's when I was approached to write the book. Um, it, you know, uh, June, July 2020, the summer of 2020, when, um, you know, we saw the death of George Floyd and protests around the country. I was in my eighth month, ninth month of pregnancy. <laughs> And um, I remember I was on bed rest. I'd like, I tell this story because it is the story of, I feel like those of us who are in this fight for justice and equity. Um, I, so my, in my pregnancy, I was so big that my pelvis had started to separate. And I remember at the time I lived in a house that was like a, it was like an old, it was a tiny old house and it had like these creaky windy stairs to get to the bedrooms. And every day I would lumber up the stairs in pain. And finally, my, my doctor said, you've got to go on bed rest. And I said, yes, I do. I will. <laughs> yes. um, and I will never forget this moment, Dr. Wright, White, where I literally laid down my head on my pillow, you know, my cool pillow. And I'm just finally in this moment of rest and growing this baby. And the phone starts to ring and it starts to ring, mm. ring and ring and ring. And it's just in, you know, the call say, get up. And you got to write this book and now's the moment. And, you know, I wrote the book in part because of that, because I felt like at that moment, people were in a place to listen. And what the book is really about, it's, it's you know, it's sort of about how do people as individual employees leverage their power to make mm -hmm. systemic change. So often I'm approached by people who say, look, I really want to change this culture, but like, I'm like just one person, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, you know, uh, yes, ostensibly the book is about the conversation, but so much of the book is about the lead up to getting in that room and thinking mm -hmm. about 
how do you work within your companies? How do you find your allies? How do you figure out who you're supposed to be talking to? How do you advocate for yourself and others strategically? So that once you're in the room in that difficult conversation, you're in the place where you're best positioned to make systemic change. That's what the book is about. Yeah, no, I love that. And we're going to actually place into the chat on how people can can get your book um, again. And that title is How to Talk to Your Boss About Race. Um, so then let's talk about um, Ready, Set. Give us a little bit of history as to what led you to wanting to start your own um, consultancy and how you went about identifying these specific service offerings or products, given your history of you know international labor and human rights um, law. Yeah. Sometimes I wish I could just like have a Zoom screen full of DEI consultants to hear everybody tell their stories. I'm sure <laughs> yeah. there would be. Wouldn't that be great? I know. This is this question that usually finds its way into these conversations every Friday because I'm always so intrigued. I, I often say that I, you know, DEI kind of found me, but not really. But anyway, those stories are always really interesting. So we love to hear yours, Vaughn. Yeah. Well, okay. Um, <laughs> you know, there's the like the, what I call official story and then like the unofficial story. So the official story was my last role. I was working as an international um, labor rights lawyer working with sugarcane workers in Nicaragua who were dying of occupational disease. And Mm. after spending a career working in war zones, conflict zones, refugee camps, that was the first time I really confronted the power of structural everyday violence. You know, right now, I think about what for the rest of the world was the cost of peace. In that situation, I thought, what was the acceptable cost for um, uh, this, the states, this Nicaraguan economy? And that cost was the deaths of sugarcane workers in incredibly high amounts and large numbers. And I, you know, I tell the story about uh, the company towns, you know, the plantations where I worked, where you could not find a place to get lunch, you know, yeah. in one o'clock, but there were 24 hour coffin stores and they were expanding the cemeteries um, faster, you know, not as fast as they could fill them. And the, the, um, the, 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 the death, the violence was generational. So you would have um, men and women who would go out to the sugarcane fields and get sick in their thirties and forties and then their children uh, would go out into the fields when they were child laborers around 15, 14, 15 mm-hmm. against the law and work in the fields. And they would get sick when they were 18 mm-hmm. or 19. And then they would die leaving behind infants, you know, mm-hmm. and you just saw the decimation and, you know, and, you know, the decimation of these communities. And that really kind of made me think about the power that work had over people's lives and how it could be a place of opportunity and also a place of harm and how much we sacrifice often for ourselves, our family, our progress in the workplace when we can be experiencing some very detrimental things. And you know, it may not be as stark as death in a sugarcane field, although yeah. we do see occupational self and safety hazards like that in the United States. (laughs) You know, I'm reminded of the Texas workers who were dying of heat exposure this summer. 
Um, um, but 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 we do also see quite a few people who are experiencing that harm. And so I said, you know, it, in 2015 when I started this company, you know, you kind of had the Googleification of workplace culture. Everybody wanted to be like Silicon Valley. Silicon mm-hmm. Valley was also a very racist and exclusive place at that time, and suffering kind of on, under these delusions of utopian equity, et cetera. And so for me, it was really kind of a question of how do I change this particular niche yeah. so that it what they're doing and the harms that we're seeing already don't ripple out to the rest of the country and other workplace cultures um, around the globe. So started in Silicon Valley and slowly we've started to branch out and, and today we work with um, media, government organizations, nonprofits, institutions of higher ed, healthcare institutions, et cetera. That's the, that's the public story. Now you'll hear that all day. Um, you'll hear a little bit about the private story in my book. Well, I was going to say, you know where I'm going next then. <laughs> <laughs> private story is the one that we all share, which is, um, you know, I was in a toxic work environment. Oh. And while I was fighting for the rights of others in various contexts, yeah. I was at the same time experiencing racism sexism, um, violent toxicity, um, um, just really awful traumatic stuff that, that no one should have to experience it for. And I, I said, I have to take back my power. I can't, I can't let this happen to me again. I can't let this, I have to do what I can so this doesn't happen to anybody else. And nobody's talking about it. And I, I had to do so much work to figure out, girl, this is happening to you because you're a black woman in the world. Like we weren't having those conversations back. Yeah. Then. Right. You know? right. And like today it's out in the open. Like you can yeah. find communities where we all have somebody who's touching our hair and criticizing <laughs> our work and telling us to smile and not promoting us for some strange reason that doesn't exist in fact. Right. Like we all have, but back then, you know, I had to get to that myself and dig for that and validation. And I was like, I don't want anybody else to have to do that. Yeah. So that's why I started writing that. Sorry, that was very long-winded. Um, no, but it was it was a story that needed to be shared because it's one that I hear very commonly on, on this show. So many women that have and started their own companies, um, it was for that very reason. They were looking for something different that they could not find because they felt it did not exist the way that it needed to. So I'm going to yeah. go and create it on my own. Um, I am big on words and language. And there was a statement that you made that I took notice of. And it is that power um, that work has over people. And I don't know if we really take the time to sit back and think about just how powerful work is over us. I mean, we live in a, a capitalistic society. And um, I think that it has grown in its intensity in terms of how in which people try to capitalize on capitalism, right? Mm-hmm. And it becomes it becomes really challenging. And I have recently heard someone, actually a young professional that I admire greatly. So we were just kind of chatting. She said, is it even possible to believe that we can escape what so many experience, especially marginalized professionals, as it relates to this heavy weight of a burden of, of the power of work. And while she didn't use that those words, because those words were, again, just introduced in this conversation, um, I couldn't help but to think about that. And so, Yvonne, when you find yourself maybe in conversations with young professionals or even seasoned professionals who really are 
are, are trying to navigate the waters around um, how prevalent of a scenario it is for people to find themselves in workplaces like you described and the power that that has over their being, right? And their existence. What do you say to that? I mean, can we overcome this? Um, I'm trying not to be glib. It's, you know, cause I do feel like it's like, can we overcome capitalism? I think that it's, um, I think we're seeing movement. So let me, let me start from the optimistic place. I think the collective organizing that we're seeing the age of the union that we're seeing right now is really powerful because I do mm. think that in a lot of ways, people are taking back their collective power. And perhaps, you know, in my book, I talk about power quite a bit, uh, the mm. kind of power that you as an individual have and the kind of power that exists. We're so used to thinking about power as sort of binary. You either have it yeah. or you don't. Right. And I in, rea in reality, it's multifaceted. We all have different kinds of power. In my book, I talk about social power, the power mm -hmm. to influence people and change actions, right? And there are um, ways in which each of us can access this power. But mm -hmm. I also feel like this power has to be situated in the broader context of the economic power and the coercive power of these workplaces and employers in our economy. And I mm -hmm. think um, as we think about rising inequality, as mm -hmm. we sort of see the balance of power shift in some ways back to these economies because of the current labor market and the push to make it worse, um, you know, and, and as we think about deliberate policy choices that tie a lot of our outcomes, not just our financial outcomes, but for example, our healthcare outcomes yeah. in a pandemic to yeah. our employment. Um, you, I don't think it's impossible. I don't think it's possible to underestimate the coercive power that the workplace has. Even some simple decisions of, do I go to work sick today can have huge ramifications. Do I hide my disability, right? Yeah. And then the, the ones that we're so used to thinking about, like, how do I speak out on behalf of myself if I'm being targeted? Do right. I talk about the person that I love? Do I identify with my true gender? Like, these are all issues that we face in the yeah. workplace. Mm -hmm. And um, that, you know, and I think that become really, really hard for us to navigate with those powers. And I don't know how to escape that. I'll just tell you my personal, mm -hmm. personal story. And, um, and then we can, you know, I, I'd be interested to hear from you, but like part for me, part of starting the company, as far as starting that ready set was trying to do, to do that escape. Like I, you know, I don't want to be beholden to, and, and in my case, I'm not saying this is everybody's case, but in my case, I had a white male boss who was prone to outbursts, profanity, horrible manipulation. I did not want to be vulnerable to that and feel the coercive power of that kind of workplace over right. my life. Now, right. that, now that I have a company, you know, it's, and I'm never going to do the woe is me. I'm CEO kind of thing. I have a lot of power. I'm going to, mm. I have to sit with that. And I have power over others. Yeah. And every day I have to think about mm -hmm. how do I not become the thing that I was taught to be? 
in the workplace, right? Um, But uh, there are still people who have power over me. Going back Mm -hmm. to the beginning of this conversation and the the conversation around fear, around Mm -hmm. how we talk about Israel and Palestine and the current conflict, a lot of the reason that people are science, DEI practitioners, consultants included, is because they're afraid of losing clients. They're afraid of being blackballed. They're afraid of, you know, being, you know, targeted on social media. And all of these, particularly as Black and Brown practitioners, are spaces in which other people can have power over us. So I don't think we ever truly escape this paradigm. I think it's incumbent upon us to try to change it, you know, and that's easier Mm -hmm. said than done. I know that's like change capitalism. Okay. I'll get right (laughs) on. You know what I mean? Great. Yeah. (laughs) I do think as as we think about, uh, collective organizing and how the balance of the success stories that I started with of how workers are successfully advocating for themselves, that is what we need to hold on to as we try to imagine how do we curtail and contain the kind of power that you're talking about. I think that's so good, Yvonne. And what's coming up for me is, um, you know, you talked about how multifaceted power is. I think that we as a society, we need to get a bit more sophisticated in how in which we are um, defining power, how in which we are recognizing power um, and reimagining it. And so, you know, one of my one of my good friends, Deb Sofield, you know, she often says that and she she makes this comment more so around women, um, which I can understand why. But she says that part of the problem with how women are not able to really align with the power that they have is because they think that they have none. Right. And so I love how what you brought to the conversation is we need to really reassess and evaluate where our power exists because we do have it. All of us have it in some shape, form, or fashion. And I think that that's the starting point for being able to um, openly leverage it and use it to our benefit of creating social change that we want to see. So so thank you for highlighting that. when we spoke about your book, we talked about kind of the, the genesis of how it came to be. But, um, you know, the topic is how to talk to your boss about race. And so whether it's a boss, whether it's a coworker, whether it's, you know, a friend or whoever, those conversations can always be very delicate, right? They can be uneasy for people. And so I would love for you to share just some practical, maybe best practices um, for individuals who are looking to engage in meaningful conversations about race or equity and diversity and justice and all of these topics that can feel really complex at times. Yeah. So I'm going to try not to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to like try pick and choose because, uh, you know. I'm sure there's many. About, like, um, but yes. the first thing I talk about in the book is understanding yourself. I think in any conversation um, where you're trying to move another person, you need to understand how you show up to that conversation. So I talk, I open the book Um, unpacking my identity and then trying to give people the tools to unpack theirs. So, you know, talking about my social identity as yes, a black woman to build on that, a black queer woman, but also a black queer woman who's married to a man, a black queer woman who comes from a certain socioeconomic background, a black queer woman who went to Ivy League law school, a black, you know, so, so like these layers, all of these are aspects of my identity. They might not you know, I might not feel like you get to the core of me by naming those things, 
But when I walk into a conversation, that identity walks in with me, right? And it confers benefits and it also confers disadvantages. It also informs my perspective on the conversation and whose voice I'm elevating and whose voices and perspectives I may be missing, right? So if I'm talking to my boss about race, it may be really um, straightforward and easy for me to talk about the Black experience in America, right? Because it's the experience that I live, it's the experience that's at the forefront. It may be less easy for me to talk about the Latino, Latinx, Hispanic experience in in the U.S., the immigrant Mm -hmm. experience in the U.S., the Asian experience in the U.S., or intersectional experiences in the U.S. based on race, like what what a person who is a transgender person of color may feel at any particular moment. But all of those perspectives are important to understand and acknowledge, understanding like we're not going to be experts as we walk into these conversations. Right you know, you know, as we, as we have these, these discussions. And I think it's also important because you need to know how you're being perceived, right? Like, you know, we don't walk into these conversations with a blank slate. And I really push for people to think strategically you and, and, and to think strategically, it's really important that you're honest with yourself about how that other person is perceiving you. And I'll give you an example. Um, when I started Ready, Set, uh, I'll remember I, I, one of the, one of our first big clients um, was a company that wanted to do some executive work and then they wanted to do some assessments and they, but they wanted mm-hmm. to get to know the team first, which I think is a lot of people do. That's fine. Yeah. That's we, pretty common. Yeah. We went, we went into their offices to meet them. And I remember um, having conversations. I'm going to say they're just lovely, lovely people. I think this is shows how at the beginning of their journey, they were, um, you know, they, I, I went in that room thinking, okay, you know, the questions are going to come to me. I got to be super prepared. Let me be on my P's and Q's. Let me show them a black woman at work. And then all of the questions went to my white female colleague or my black male. colleague. Mm -hmm. Nobody addressed me in the room. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, as the CEO, I was like, wow, (laughs) as the CEO, I had to like think, and I was like, you know, I could in this moment, come out guns blazing a little bit, but that's not going to get me what I want. I'm working Mm -hmm. with my team to move these people as a team and where they are right now, they're listening to him and they're listening to her. All right. Mm -hmm. And I know that she and him are there on message with me because we're all working together. Right. right? So let me let them do what they do. Let us debrief in the back about what just happened. And then let us let what just happened informed our, inform our strategy. Right. Yeah. And so I think that that's not to excuse it or erase the harm that mm-hmm. happens there, but you know, it taught me that I'm, I may come into every room in my mind as the CEO, but in the right. other person's mind, that may not be the case, right? So yeah. understanding how that my identity, my positioning, my power impacts my message is really important. That's the first thing I'll say. And you can tell these are long ways. So I'm just going to tell you one more thing. The second thing that I advocate for is um, do not do this alone. You know, I yeah. think it's, it's a, I talk a lot about how we're the, the great disservice our historical education is to us. 
and maybe even more so now as we're seeing the attacks on it and it's really mm-hmm. you know it affects us right and 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 you know i was taught about the great men and women singular of history right yeah. i was ta- taught about rosa parks on the bus i was not taught about snick i was not taught about all the collective organizing that happened in the back right. i was not taught about the woman that came before rosa Rosa Parks. I was not taught about the Alabama boy, boy bus boycott. You know, <laughs> I was taught about that one person. I was taught about Martin yeah. Luther King. I was taught mm-hmm. about singular individuals that, through the sheer force of will, changed the system. And that change does not happen that way. Yeah. Never has. And I don't yeah. think will. Yes, there are there are a few dynamic individuals that people rally around as leaders, but understand that that is a rally and that is a collective force. You mm-hmm. as a singular person. You have to be really careful, especially if you're a person of color, especially if you're a woman, especially if you are a woman of color, if you have a disability, if you ha- hold a marginalized identity and you go into this work alone, you can put, and in all likelihood, you will put a target on your back. So, mm-hmm. so understanding how do, what is my community at work saying? Who are my people? Who are the people who are already doing this that I can learn from? Who are the people who share my perspective? Who am I walking to the room with when I walk into the room is really important. And how do I get aligned with them first, right? How do I understand what they're doing? How do I understand how my voice is part of a shared collective goal? And how do I make sure that should something go down, I have allies and protection in the workplace that I'm in. We don't do this alone. And I think that we put a lot of our, on ourselves and we put ourselves at risk when we try to. So that's mm-hmm. my second piece of advice. Yeah. Don't go at it alone. And then yeah. I have like advice for the actual conversation. But... You have to get the book. <laughs> to get all the <laughs> gotta others. gotta yes, get the book. So... But that's the prep yes. work, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. No, but the two that you shared is is really impactful. I love the idea of this collective force. And I, I truly believe that too. I don't think that no one gets to where they are and to accomplish something of significance that has such, you know, that produces such social change on their own. Mm-hmm. I think that we all are banding together to um, to help create those experiences. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a small example, but it's one of the reasons that this vodcast, you know, we're entering into our fourth year is so important for us. It's because, you know, I bring people on every single week because we're, I'm constantly learning. My team is constantly learning. And I think that, you know, all of the practitioners that are in this space, we all have very specific ways in which we're navigating the complexity of this work. And um, we need for we need for the voices of all those individuals to be able to have platforms to share. So I, I think that collective force is something that we all can walk away with. So I'm going to open it up to this audience. I don't want to keep hogging Yvonne for myself, although I have many other questions, but I can hold them. And so I want to give you a chance. If you're holding some curiosities or you want to contribute to the conversation with some comments or maybe a question, then um, I want to invite you to um, submit that. If you're part of our Zoom community, then you can do that by using the raise hand feature and that lets me know that you're willing for me to invite you to the spotlight and to um, have you unmute yourself and share or if you're just here and maybe you want to present your question into the chat you can do so if you're on linkedin live um, go to the comment section add your questions my team is watching that carefully and bringing that over into our discussion here and so i am let's see i'm looking at the chat because i do believe that we have a question that has come up already so let me see what this is 
Okay, this is from Michael on LinkedIn. Thanks for joining us on LinkedIn, Michael. How do you both uh, keep yourselves positive and resilient in these times of chaos? Vivon, I want you to take that. We know gardening, right? <laughs> we know we know gardening. Uh, gardening, uh, I probably need to get back into therapy. I always advocate it for people. I actually have a, and this is not to tie everything back in the book, but I do have a chapter in the book that just acknowledges self-care and taking time. Um, uh, I think that that's part of it. Um, you know what I've been doing a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Mm -hmm. I've been... Um, uh, just hearing so much research around isolation and how important friendships are to having a happy, healthy life. So I've really been reinvesting in my friendships, you know, meeting, friends, you know, just going out for dinner, meeting folks, you know, having like a key key. Like, I think when the world yeah. is, is really trash, those mm -hmm. conversations are super important. And like, you know, this is going to sound, yo, listen, I'm an elder millennial. So I'm right on the cusp. And I remember the old days and having a phone call. I, I love like being on the phone, you know, you? and, and oh. you know, you may not always be there in person, but like my mom has this thing every Sunday. I don't know about your parents. My mom will do this. She will be on the phone for hours. She's be like, I'm talking to my girlfriend. I'm talking to miss so-and-so, you know? And I'm like, yeah. like so much time. Yeah. and the phone just rings. It just rings yeah. until Sunday is done. And I'm kind of in that place too, where I'm like, I just like picking up the phone and just chit chatting and having a gap. Um, that's so those are, that, that's the, that's the big one is the, is the friendship, the, the, yeah. group, the phone calls and the special one-on-one -on -one time. I love that. I love that you don't sacrifice friendships, even as busy as your schedule is. I think that's really important. Um, so mine are a little different. I don't like talking on the phone <laughs> at all. My conversations are usually like really, really short, right? Um, but you know, you mentioned therapy and and yes, I, I I do strongly believe in talk therapy. I think that it has um really provided great grounding for me and many moments of my life. Um, and, and, and again, one of the things I talk about when I share therapy is something that I, I am an advocate for is that it's not just when you're, you're, you're feeling stressed, right. And you need all this support. It's even when you're feeling healthy and you just want to have that outlet. I mean, so I think that's something to, to share as well. Um, I love being in community with others. You know, I, there's a number of like, you know, small groups that I constantly kind of, you know, stay connected with and, um, and I think that that helps keep me centered and grounded as well, especially in the chaos. You know, how are you navigating? How are you processing? Well, what are you seeing? I mean, just, you know, those thought partners can be really, really useful. Um, I work out that really keeps the stress, you know, at minimum. Um, and I think that's important. You know, our physical health has a lot to do with our mental health as well. And so um, I'm a woman of faith. And so prayer is always something that finds its way into helping me to deal with chaos, especially when we can't control things that are out of our control. And then the last one is, is really about taking clarity breaks where I can um, really put in perspective what feels insurmountable in a moment <laughs> and then be able to relegate it to, it's really just this much of an issue for me. Um, and so that level of gratitude, I think also helps to, um, to calm me when the storm is like raising. And so anyway, great question, Michael. Thanks so much. Um, Pavana, um, who's actually part of our community, it's good to see you. Um, shared that I just started working with a therapist a month or so ago, and it's helpful in many ways. And so, yes, I do agree. Okay, so I'm not seeing any hands up. Let me just ask the question again before I go to my next question. Um, okay, no, no hands. Okay, so I wanna ask you about New Day. 
This is something that you reference a bit, and I want you to elaborate on what New Day is and how it contributes to promoting diversity and inclusion in the workplace. Tell us about New Day. Yeah, I think so. With Ready Set, at Ready Set, you know, one of our big things is around growth. I feel like growth mm-hmm. is huge. Like I think everybody in their jobs wants to grow. And I know inside of our company, you know, the biggest questions we get are around what are my growth opportunities? Yeah, yeah. um, How can I learn? And, you know, as a service provider, I'm sure you know this, there's only so much of you that can go around. And we, we built New Day as a platform for professional skills development and growth, particularly around the areas that work that relate to DEI, but that feels in some ways like you say DEI and people automatically go to like representation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it, I think it's broader than that. It's like it's it's uh, how you think about building a great set of inclusive, best practices, really refined skills that help you show up at work better, like better for you and better for the people around you. Okay. And I named it New Day because it's like every day is like a new opportunity for us to learn and do better. You know, we have this sort of fixed mindset around Mm -hmm. who we are as people, but we're constantly evolving, constantly changing. And I think we're best when we're hungry for new information and we're curious. So, you know, I named New Day with that in mind. Like, Like, this is a platform that you can go to when you're curious. And it's not just ready, set content. We have, we very really, really focused on making sure our content was just like very dope, like just very, very, very good. Um, And we will, you know, we have some entertainment folks in our, in our midst and we really believe in high quality um, content. And we also know that if learning this stuff can feel like a slog and that's like the, this is the last thing I want to feel like a slog for you. So yeah, right. But we also want, we also are bringing in other voices from our partners and people who we really love and respect in the ecosystem that we think that can, mm-hmm. can be additive because we're not experts on everything. Yeah. Our goal is yeah. just to kind of get you to where you want to go in terms of that, of that progress and meet you where you're at. So it's micro learning, it's live learning, it's community-based learning, all around the sort of premise of like, how can I be a little bit better for myself and for others tomorrow? I love that. And so New Day is not just for your internal colleagues, it's something that you make available to your partners that you are in relationships with as well. I love that. What a great, what a great tool. Um, Okay, so I'm going to try to sneak in another question. This question is coming from someone from our LinkedIn Live audience. Um, Provided that work does have a level of power over us, how should we address a supervisor or CEO regarding race without worrying about the kickback that may follow? And I'm assuming the kickback is maybe the repercussions a lot of people obviously have some concerns over. Yeah. And those are very valid concerns. You know, a lot of the EEOC complaints that we see are retaliation complaints. Yeah. A a huge percentage um, of those reports. Um, I, not to belabor the point, but I think that is why community is so important. And that's why Mm -hmm. I say, you know, don't walk into that conversation alone. I think f- I, I I recommend, a, you know, a tool in my book called like power mapping and mm-hmm. um, also, you know, mapping your allies and seeing before you have that conversation, who at work may feel the same way you do, you know, and maybe it's a formal organization. Yeah. 
maybe it's your ERG. And I'm not, let me just say, this is a very intentional question because there will be people at work who say they feel like you, who may not feel like you. So you have to be really That's careful true. who, <laughs> who you're, Good point. right? So, uh, is it, is it a group like an ERG, a DEI committee, et cetera? Is it other individuals who just sort of spoken about the same thing? If you're not sure, take some time to get to know your colleagues, which I recognize is harder in the Zoom era, but still possible and figure out where they stand. You know, mm-hmm. only when you have what you feel like is that safety, that backing, that support, well, then I think about how you approach your boss, right? And I think like, you know, it's not as simple as like, I'm going to put a, let me just put some time on their calendar and walk in, right? I think that there, there are strategies to how you have this conversation. Do you link it to a particular incident? Do you speak to someone who may have more influence over your boss, who's not your boss, but who's also your friend and maybe Mm -hmm. better? to have this conversation do you sort of say okay I am really really tight with my boss I know they'll take this really well how do I do this I and then when you get into the conversation this is what I did not touch on I think it's so important that we go in intentionally my one of the things that I do and I think in some ways we did in this conversation here is I try to share my areas of growth. So I don't ever, I think there's a sort of misperception that DEI professionals, DEI advocates come in and they know it all. I say it's misperception because it's not true in my experience. But what I do is typically disarm that by saying, you know, like, look, like um, here's where like I have had to grow. This is what I got wrong. You know, I, I, if in a conversation, I focus on an action and then I link it back to like, uh, area of growth that that I may have had. So I, I, you know, for me, one of my huge areas of growth has been around transgender visibility and making sure mm-hmm. transgender folks feel seen and heard and empowered. And mm-hmm. also the different ways in which transgender mar- marginalization of transgender people happens. And my own internalized biases and my own taught marginalizations around Mm. transgender inclusion, right? That has been a huge growth area for me and has been Mm. motivated by personal factors as well as just the pain that I've seen amongst transgender people who I love dearly because Mm -hmm. of mistakes that people have made. And I've had to really do that work. Yeah, I share that when people, when when I'm talking about how we can grow around areas of of, um, racism, and bias because I've had to do it myself. And quite often that can, that can help disarm a person. I also, like I said, focus on the action. I try to be very present in the conversation, you know, yeah. and, and leave space for the person to talk. I also reco- I also recognize that true change does not happen within a conversation. It's like not right. just a conversation. Right. It's likely a series of conversations Yes. This is something you're going to have to check back with. You're going to have to follow <laughs> up on. You're going to have to be support around. And, um, you know, that's again, why you want the community around you, because like, in essence, what you are kind of agreeing to do, or you might be putting yourself into is a situation where you're taking somebody on a journey. And, yeah. you know, I think that that resentment gets created when you say, okay, like this isn't, and I'm not saying right or wrong. I'm not judging how this happens. I'm just saying, yeah. 
thing happened. Yeah, yeah. Is that like, you say like, the, I, I saw you do this racist action. I'm calling out the harm. I'm calling on you to be different. And then I'm taking a step back. And I think quite often what is needed in addition to all of those call outs or call-ins or however you want to do it is then, I, uh, you know, I know this is hard. I know this is not easy. Here's my journey. You know, here's, uh, I'm happy to continue to talk to you about this. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to see this as a threat. And I know it's like really volatile. Like people are like, why do I have to make this person who has this power, the power yes. of white, the power of the institution, why do I have to make them feel comfortable when I don't have the power in that situation? And I get it, right? But like what you're trying to do right now is to bring them along, right? And that's yeah. why this work is so taxing is because yeah. each day, we're doing that delicate dance. We're taking those hits. We're, you know, we're walking with and doing the sacrifice to walk with people who have institutional power over us and have harmed us to get them to this better place. And that like takes a toll. But in this conversation, that may be what happens. So I hope that I've answered your question around this. It's really complicated. Um, you know, I try to do a better job of it in the book. Um, but I think those are some things that I think about as I think about protecting oneself from harm. And then the last thing I'll say is that be for real with yourself around whether you're the person to have this conversation. Cause yeah. I talk about this, but like you, it may not be you. Yeah. Right? Like, and, and you need to like, you come first, your well-being, mm. yourself, your needs come. The whole reason that you're calling out this behavior likely is because it impacts you. And so like also thinking about the other things that can impact you in a very like, you know, in a very clear and honest way is really important. And if it's not you, can you, can it be somebody else? And if it can yeah. be somebody else, is this the right environment for you? Mm -hmm. right? How do you yeah. survive this environment? Or how do you go to an environment that may better serve you? Yeah. Lots of things to consider when you're really trying to be strategic and to produce a scenario whereby the outcome you're seeking can certainly be in reach. And so we're so appreciative, Yvonne. Thanks so much for sharing. Um, get the book again to this community, How to Talk to Your Boss About Race and um, Power Mapping. I'm so intrigued now. I definitely have plans to get your book and would love to be in conversation with you in the future about it at some point. But we're grateful that you've spent this time with us. We know that it's early for you on the West Coast, but we are so grateful. And uh, we did share your LinkedIn information and to the chat. And so for those of you who wish to stay connected to Yvonne and her content and learn more about Ready, Set, then uh, make sure you check her out. Wishing everyone a safe, healthy, and happy weekend. And we'll hopefully see you back here next Friday for Intentional Conversations Podcast. Bye-bye.